Well, good morning, friends. Welcome to worship. To those of you that are in the physical room, there are others physically present in the hall. We always end up shocked at the five minutes where things begin, and five minutes later as we find ourselves slowly gathering. And for those of you in the virtual acre, uh, you're already here, and inevitably there will be others on the way as well. You know, that's the way this, this faith journey works. It's just that we're always kind of on the way and coming to understand the benefit of the perspective of looking backwards to see how far we've come with trust and looking forward, knowing that we can only see as far as the headlights go, that the God that has walked with is the very God that will continue to take us with. It's along the way that we discover that we are walking with sight and it's with the gift that is those that have the courage and uh, the chutzpah to open their mouths and testify to what they experience along the way that ultimately we find ourselves fueled to keep going. Last week, after our time together in corporate worship, Linda reached out with, uh, with three photographs, screenshots of a book from Brother Lawrence called Practicing the Presence of God that she just had no choice but to share because she saw all these amazing connections. Lee sent word two or three uh, days later all the way from Hungary with a hyperlink to something called the Presence Project that also connects with this idea of the presence of Christ in the world. And in engagement with a handful of you all in these last few days, many of you have prompted something that said, I heard something, I saw something, I recently had an encounter with somebody that made a connection to me, I think God was revealing to me, that what was being said from your mouth is something that is connecting in the world that I live in, sometimes with me and sometimes perhaps in spite of me would be my commentary on that. We are all on the way. You know, I said toward the end of our time together last week that the true point of this holy experiment known as church is to walk as disciples so that we are continually finding ourselves intentionally strengthening our desire for Jesus. I want to say it one more time. It is the intentional strengthening of our desire for Jesus that we come together and that we walk together along the way. The key word there is desire. If we, for example, in this time of worship, come together today and understand that the words that we share, the scripture that we read, the songs that we sing, the testimonies that are, that are reflected that if all of that is meant to be a strengthening of desire exercise, we will have a better understanding of what it means to be in love with God so that when we move into the world to love our neighbors, we have a better understanding of what it is that we're supposed to do. Thomas Merton's prayer, which is my favorite, a lot of you have heard me quote this through the years. I'm going to key in on the words here. Listen to him in, in the light of what I've just shared. My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. Here it is. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. 
And I hope I have that desire in everything that I do. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Merton is revealing what his heart longs for, the desire for God. The desire. We are now three weeks into a, um, a long series on obstacles that ex- exist in our lives, just by default, by being human beings with brains and hearts and complicated lives that go with it as we walk alongside one another along the way, and how these biases ultimately create obstacles for us seeing. Like, Paul says, like, I see in a mirror dimly now, but one day it won't be so dim. It's that. It's, it's the stuff that's just not so obvious to us. So we've covered confirmation bias and complexity bias now. Complexity bias last week, just as a quick recap, is this idea that we just really prefer things to be really simple. Even if simple is not directly connected to the truth, we will, as human beings, lean in the direction of oversimplifying because none of us really want to deal with the complicated stuff that is life. And it creates a bias in our lives that ultimately makes it really hard for us to see, which means ultimately to desire that which gives us life, the one that gives us life. I want to remind you as we move in this series, for those of you that have been with us, that this is not about the speck in our neighbor's eyes. This is about the log in our own eye. If we are hearing these biases and ultimately making a list of people that we know that struggle with with such things, We have gone and missed the whole point. It is, what is it that I need to see, Lord? What is it about the log in my own eye? And by the way, that passage in the Sermon on the Mount actually says, before you help your neighbor remove the speck from their eye, the splinter from their eye, it is presumed you will help others see and remove splinters. You must first become aware of the log in your own and deal with it. That's what we're talking about. Today's bias is community bias. It's almost impossible to see what our community doesn't, can't, or won't see. One more time. It is impossible, or it's almost impossible, if not impossible, to see what our community doesn't, can't, or won't see. I grew up in a tradition where women in ministry was just outright not an option. I'm just using that as an, as an example. It didn't even occur to me that that would be a possibility in my formative years in the community that I was raised in. In the time in my own life, like many of you, where I found myself really grappling and struggling with the possibility that maybe women are called into ministry the same as everybody else, I remember feeling unbelievably conflicted. And ultimately there was a tremendous amount of separation from my own community that I was raised in because of me opening up my heart to the fact that God calls women. That would be just one example where it is almost impossible to see what our community doesn't, can't, or won't see. And when we do, we don't know what to do with it. And that has devastating effects. 
I'll remind you uh, in, in closing here uh, that Rachel Held Evans is the one that said, this is what God's kingdom is like, a bunch of outcasts and oddballs gathered at a table, not because they are rich or worthy or good, but because they hunger. I'll adapt it for today's passage. Because they are thirsty, because they said yes, and there's always room for more. Can I get a hallelujah? Now here's the other side of the hallelujah. What happens when we assume we're still saying yes as a community, and yet the no is the quiet whisper that comes from our individual and collective hearts, and we don't hear it? That's community bias. Ain't nothing simple. It's all pretty complicated. But it is in the love of Jesus that we learn to desire the one that gives life and helps us learn what it means to be givers of life that seems to be hell-bent on offering death. We are here to worship the giver of life. We are here to desire the one that has made this moment possible. Welcome to worship. We're in for a wonderful day together.